Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Faith Bible Church, and we are excited to be speaking today on the topic of joy. And so the first thing that I'd like to ask you is just to take a brief moment, and what comes to mind when you think of joy? It's interesting because, I don't know about you, but uh, there is a movie out there, and it is called Inside Out. How many of you are familiar with that movie? I see a few hands raised, but we're going to take a minute, and I'm going to show you what comes to mind when I think of Joy. Is Joy up there? There she is. Okay. Now, some of you might have seen this movie, some of you might not, but essentially the movie is about a girl, and she is experiencing a move from a familiar place to an unfamiliar place. And throughout the movie, what happens is different emotions come forward, such as joy, anger, or fear, or whatever it might be. And the story is essentially about recognizing the fullness of the emotions. But the other thing that I think is interesting is, in that movie, there is a character by the name of of Bing Bong. How many remember Bing Bong? Kind of this weird pink elephant type guy. And the whole aspect is that Bing Bong is being forgotten. But Bing Bong is what brought joy to this little girl's life. Now it's interesting because we look at joy and we wonder, what is it? Why should we think about that? Why is it important in our lives? And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to talk to you and I'd like to give you a, a couple of quotes by a lady of the name of Ingrid Fattel Lee. She did a TED Talk back in May of 2018 on the subject of joy. Before I read what she says, the manner of how this came about is she was in design school and essentially designing a variety of different buildings, different looks, and different things. And as she was being tested by essentially her professors, she ended up asking a very simple question, which is, what brings about joy? And in that, it took her on a quest to discover, in her understanding, what brings about joy. And in this TED Talk, these are a couple of quotes that she makes. She states that, broadly speaking, when psychologists use the word joy, what they mean is an intense, momentary experience of positive emotion. One that makes us smile and laugh, and we want to jump up and down. Each moment of joy is small, but over time, they add up to more than the sum of their parts. And so, maybe instead of chasing after happiness, what we should be doing is embracing joy and finding ways to put ourselves in the path of it more often. On the most basic level, the drive toward joy is the drive toward life. Now think about this for a minute. In the TED Talk, which I would encourage you to actually go and listen to, it's a fascinating conversation and essentially what Ingrid Fatelli is talking about is how we can experience joy. She goes on to say that in her research, what she found was that the institutional aspects of how we build our buildings with straight lines, drab colors, sort of the blasé appeal that it brings, doesn't bring about joy. And in her research, what she found was that when they utilized curve lines or bright colors or big things, that that brings about a greater joy. Interestingly enough, she actually talks about Sandy Hook. 
she talks about how the individuals who were affected at Sandy Hook moved forward and they redesigned the building to have curved lines, bright colors, and bouncy floors in order to try to bring about a sense of joy. And here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. There's nothing wrong with her research. It's fascinating. But the big question that I kept asking myself as I was listening to this TED Talk is, what about the families who lost a child? You can bring about bright colors. You can bring about bouncy floors. You can put up joy behind me. And will they really have a deep sense of joy? Will they really be filled with a joy that the world cannot simply give, nor can it take it away? See, what I think is interesting is, is literally millions of people have listened to this TED Talk. Millions of people have come forward and said, this is amazing about how we can temporally try to experience, and I quote again, a momentary experience of joy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want to ask you is this, is that what life is about? Trying to seek a momentary experience of joy? Trying to create a building that has curved lines and bouncy floors and bright colors? And yet when we walk in, if we've lost a child, perhaps at Sandy Hook, or maybe our marriage is falling apart, or maybe we're doing the best that we can in our business and things just aren't adding up, or maybe we're moving forward to retirement, we're excited about the joy that that might bring, and two years into retirement we discover that we have a terminal illness? Well, those lines and colors and curves bring about a deeper sense of joy. Interestingly enough, she titles her TED Talk simply this. It is, Where Joy Hides and how to find it, question mark. And so what I want to pose to you this morning is this, a simple question. Where does real joy hide? And how do we find it? Because it's so obvious that the world is looking for more. You can tell by this TED Talk that the world wants more. They want to experience joy. And she goes on and she says that oftentimes what she's found is that there are manners of joy that can be out there. She shows pictures of balloons. She shows pictures of a rainbow. She shows pictures of a beautiful landscape. And let's be real, right? That brings about a moment of joy. But how do we have long, real, lasting joy that transcends the world, that is beyond the world, something that can not be shaken in the moments where there is hardship or challenge or difficulty. Because far too often, people try to experience joy. They try to experience this temporal moment. And when they don't experience that, what they begin to do is try to compensate for it. They try to compensate for it with either drugs or alcohol. Or maybe they try to experience uh, more intimate relationships outside of marriage. Or maybe what they try to do is they try to work harder, thinking that it'll bring about joy. And even this morning, God bless you, right? This is a great aspect. Tom, right, this, I'm just throwing this in here, is filled with joy because Army won. But what about next year? 
when Navy wins. Will he be filled with joy? Okay, it's just, it's just a momentary aspect. But how do we have a deeper sense of joy? And this morning, what I want to do is I want to read to you out of Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. And the first thing that I want to say is, if you have your Bibles with you, you'll open it up, and you're going to see a miktam of David. Okay? That's the title there. And I'm just going to throw this out because I just want you to be aware what a miktam is. Well, what is a miktam? To be honest with you, no one is precisely sure what the term is. In looking at it, scholars think that it might be something that speaks to like a golden language, or it might be something that is utilized to be in a song or in sort of a manner that would be spoken. But no one has actually come forward and said, this is exactly what it is. So, most likely, the term is some sort of technical term for a collection of psalms. And if you notice and you look in your Bibles, the miktam is essentially found in Psalm 56 through 60, and then somehow, some way, in Psalm 16. But here's what's interesting. How many of us are familiar with the character of David? How many of us know David's life? If we think about who David was, we recognize that David's life was one that really had moments of joy. But we also recognize that in David's life, there were many times when what? He was quite distraught. He was persecuted. He was pursued. Things were bleak. And it's interesting because as David writes this psalm, what we have to recognize is that the outside world around him, what is temporal that is around him, isn't filled with curved lines, bright colors, vibrant landscapes, joyous feelings. And yet what we come to find is he is filled with joy because there is a greater source that is giving him that joy. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 16. And I'd like to read these words. Actually, I hate to say it, I'm getting older, so I'm going to do it out of this Bible so I can see the, the passage. David writes this, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase whom run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names up on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your holy one see decay you have made known to me the path of life you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand where does real joy hide and how do we find it 
It's interesting because as David is writing this psalm, I said earlier, we have to recognize that the situation that he is in is anything less than ideal. The situation that David finds himself in is one of challenge and trouble and strife. And yet as he writes, his central focus is bringing about joy. And that is because his central focus is on the only one who can give true joy. And that is our God. I want to take a minute and I want to start off and I want to say first and foremost, as we see in verse 1, that joy is found in allowing God to be your refuge in troublesome and challenging times. It is obvious from this psalm that David is going through a challenge, but what he starts off with is this. Get me out of this, God. Get me out of this so that I can go to a circular place with bright colors and bouncy floors, and then I can experience a moment of joy. Just get me out of whatever it is that's going on in my life. Now, obviously, if we read the psalm, we recognize that that's anything but what David says. He says, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And so the first thing that I want to encourage you in is this, is that when you are in a challenge in your life, when things are tough, I just ask a very simple question. Where are you trying to find your refuge? Are you trying to find your refuge in temporal things? Are you trying to find your refuge in your own ability or your own value or your own possessions? Or are you trying to drown out that and compensate with it through something else like drugs, alcohol, or maybe addiction to pornography or whatever that might be? Do you take refuge in God? Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And then he continues on and he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. And so not only do we see in verse 1 that joy is found in allowing God to be your refuge in troublesome and challenging times, but in verses 2 through 4 we find that joy is found in allowing God to be your guide regardless of circumstance. Interesting that David writes this, and he separates essentially two groups. He separates from the saints and to those who are pursuing other gods. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And so another question that I want to ask you is simply this. No matter where your life might be, no matter if you are loving life right now, no matter if everything is going right, or perhaps it took everything in you to get up this morning and come to church, I want to ask a very simple question. And that is this. When we examine our life, when we examine who we are in Christ, can we truly say, you are my Lord Apart from you, I have no good thing. And I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment because later on we're going to talk about that. What if, let me just throw this out to you, what if all we have is God? 
What if everything around us is falling apart? What if everything that we place our hope in on a temporal level is fleeting? Will we have joy because we have God? And that is a fundamental question that I want to encourage all of us in our walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because so often what we see is individuals taking a little bit of God, but then trying to compensate for a whole lot of the world. And when they don't experience joy, they blame God because they're chasing after the world and not focusing on him. And then he continues on and he says, as for the saints who are in the land. So basically, he's talking about the other individuals who are following God in the land who are, what? Looking to God for their strength. They are the glorious one in whom is my delight. So here's what I want to throw out to you. The next thing that I'd like to say is this. Do you find joy in being present with other believers in Jesus? Does it bring joy to your heart to come and fellowship and worship? Even though there might be differences of opinion, even though someone might root for army and you are a veteran of the Navy, can those things be put aside? Do we find joy in God? And do we find joy and fellowship in one another? He then turns and he says, that is in whom is all my delight. So the next thing that I want to just throw to us is, are we excited to come in fellowship with one another? Is there a joy in doing so? Or is it just something that we want to tick off our list to say that we did so that we can go home and feel better about ourselves. And then interesting enough, he continues on in verse four, he says, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. And that's exactly what's being stated. So many people are running after other gods. Now in this instance, in this time frame, David is speaking particularly to individuals who are worshiping other gods, other gods in the theological system that aren't real. But let me ask you this, are we worshiping other gods? Are we looking to other things to fill us with what we would think is a momentary aspect of joy? And David continues on and he says simply this, I will not pour out their libations of blood, okay, their offerings of blood, these gods that they were going to, oftentimes how they would sort of be appeased they thought, was by giving blood offerings to them. And that was thought that that's what would bring about appeasement of the gods and a deeper sense of joy. Or take up their names on my lips. So this morning we said, well sure, you know, I'm not pouring out a libation of blood or taking up a, you know, a name of a god on my lips. Are we? Or are we not? Because far so often we're turning to temporal things, thinking that they will give us joy. I want to just take a minute and I want to talk to you just about Christmas. I love Christmas, okay? It's a great time. It's a wonderful time to celebrate Jesus. It's a wonderful time to open presents. But you might call me a Scrooge. And here's why. 
Let's be honest about Christmas and the presents that are given. Now, give them, I'm not saying not to, but we get all excited about it, don't we? I remember being a little kid, I couldn't wait to open my presents. It was so exciting, couldn't wait to get down and see what I got, right? And you lay awake at night, you can't sleep, and we used to have a rule that uh, at 7 a.m. we could go downstairs. And we lived in sort of this open house, and our bedrooms were up on the second floor. We had this railing, and then the Christmas tree was down below. And my parents put up this little kind of red yarn rope that we couldn't cross, right? Now, if we wanted to, at 5 a.m., we could get up, we had to be quiet, we could look down at the tree, we could ponder all of the presents that we were going to get. We couldn't wait to do that. And so many times as a young child, I remember looking down, you know, and I'd ask, like, I'd like this for Christmas or whatever, and I'd look over and I'd look at that present and I'd be like, I think that is what I've asked for for Christmas, right? Next thing you know, parents wake up, 7 a.m., rope goes, we tear down. And let's be honest, parents, how long does opening Christmas presents last with little kids? About four seconds, right? That's an over-exaggeration, but not, not very long, does it? You go through, you tear through the presents, there's this aspect of joy, right? Happiness, excitement. But then the presents are done, they've been opened, and Christmas is over. Can I ask you a question? How are those presents doing now? Is there a deeper sense of joy? Now, please, can I just throw in a caveat? I do love Christmas and, and open the presents. I don't want to be called a Scrooge. My heart for all of us is, is that it would be way more than just opening presents at Christmas. That there would be this deeper sense of joy that we're speaking about here at Christmas. And so David essentially in verse one says that joy is found in allowing God to be your refuge in troublesome and challenging times, but also joy is found in allowing God to be your guide regardless of circumstance. Psalm 37 verses 23 through 24 say this, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And the reason that I put in there that in there is this. Notice the condition of it. If the Lord delight, delights in a man's way, okay, man plural, your way. What I want to ask you is this. What is your way before God right now? Is God delighting in it? Now, God cares, God loves. We see that God is love. We talked about that love is a noun. We talked about how God brings hope. But what I want to ask you lovingly this Christmas is are you dodging God and trying to experience joy in a temporal way because you're afraid to go to the one who can only give a true deep, everlasting joy, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. If the Lord delights in a man way, 
He makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And we take that and we put it in the context of this psalm that David is writing. And we recognize that the moment that David is writing this psalm, his life isn't temporally filled with joy. It's not going well. But yet he can write about a deep sense of joy because the foundation of that joy is our God. We continue on and then we see in verses five and six the following, that joy is found in knowing that eternal life with God is our inheritance. Does that bring us a deep sense of joy? Verse five, he says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And it's interesting that David writes this because he's speaking specifically about God and the inheritance that he has in him. But it is also a reference back to the true inheritance, which is God. Let me show this to you for a minute. Back in Numbers, chapter 18, verse 20, we're looking at, essentially, the Israelites coming into the land and being given, each tribe, a land of promise. They come into the land, it's theirs to inherit it, and God says, okay, this tribe, you get this portion of land. This tribe, you get this portion of land. But interestingly enough, what does it say in Numbers 18 through 20? He says, the Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land. Not that you will have any shame among them. I am your share. I am your share. And your inheritance among the Israelites. God is saying to Aaron, who's the head of the Levitical tribe, look, all of the other tribes are going to get land. They're going to get an inheritance. And back in that day, land was seen as a blessing. Land was seen as an encouragement. Land was seen as a provision of God. But God turns to Aaron and the Levitical tribe, and he says, you won't have any land, but you will have me. And so David is reflecting back, and he is essentially saying, you have assigned me my portion in my cup. You have given me what I will receive. The boundary lines, okay, the land has fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I will have a delightful inheritance, and it is God. And so let me just take this for a minute. Let me just, let me kind of make this a little bit more contemporary for all of us this morning. What if we came here today, and it was receive an inheritance day at Faith Bible Church? We came forward, and I walked up, and I said to someone, I said, congratulations, you have just received 100 acres of prime farm ground just outside of Guthrie County, and there is a farmhouse there for you. It's yours. Would you be pretty excited about that? Worth a lot of money, isn't it? What if I turned to somebody else, and I said, oh, hey, for you, guess what? You've just inherited all of the South Shore of Lake Panorama. It's all yours. Do whatever you want with it. You'd be pretty excited, wouldn't you? What if I went to somebody else and I said, oh yeah, here's for you. You get a thousand acres of land 
just outside of Waukee. You can use it to farm or you can use it to develop. Wouldn't you be pretty excited? And then what if I came to somebody and I said, guess what you get? You get God. Would you be excited? I mean, wait a minute. They just got 100 acres of farm ground, and I'm not the best on math, but I'm guessing farm ground goes for what, 12, 12 an acre, 12,000 an acre maybe, okay? That other person got 1,000 acres, and it's in Waukee. That, I don't even know what the South Shore land is worth over there. Millions, probably. And today for you, Johnny, we get a big dose of God. Would you rejoice? I see some heads nodding. I see some other heads going, I don't know, and that's okay. But here's what I want to show you. It's right there. Because so often what happens is, is people look for joy in a temporal. They look for joy in a aspect that they think will bring about a deeper happiness. Now, I don't know about you, if somebody came forward and said, hey, this is what we want to give you, I'm not going to turn it down. But here's what I want to show you. Someday, that 1,000 acres or that 100 acres or the south shore of Lake Panorama isn't going to be around anymore. And I don't know about you, but here's the thing. In a time of hurt or a time of pain or a time of loss of a loved one or a time of struggle or a time of challenge, I don't know about you, but that land isn't going to bring about joy. But God will. And he does. And the reason is because David knows his true inheritance, which is far greater than any land or any temporal blessing that this world can give. And that is where he finds his source of joy. The Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land. Think about that for a minute. Imagine if you're Aaron. Imagine if you're like, hey, I'm doing everything I can. And you're looking, and every tribe is moving in, and God is saying, that is yours. That is yours. That is yours. And that is yours. And Aaron comes up, and he goes, you're not going to get any land. And neither will your tribe. but you will get me. Could we say truly like David says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, notice that, surely I have, and notice the, a delightful, inheritance. And so my word of encouragement to all of us is this. If we have nothing else, if we're given nothing else, if all we have is Jesus, can we walk with joy knowing that we have a delightful inheritance because of who he is and what he has done? Where does real joy hide and how do we find it? We've seen in verse 1 that joy is found in allowing God to be your refuge in troublesome and challenging times. 
We've also seen that joy is found in allowing God to be your guide regardless of circumstance. But here we find that joy is found in knowing that eternal life with God is our inheritance. I want to take a minute, and I don't know about you, but um, some of you might have seen on Facebook that um, kind of, I call it a painting, a, sort of a portrait, and it's, it's the, the first moment or the first day in heaven, and it's this girl, and she's like wrapping her arms around Jesus. Some of you might have seen it, okay? I mean, she's just tearful, and can, I mean, it's just like, I'm here. That's joy. That's joy. And so let me make another comparison. When you look this Christmas, right, to all of the ads out there with the bow that's around the Mercedes Bend, okay, or the bow that's around the big house, or the big diamond now, okay, if you're getting those, praise God, awesome, I'm happy for you, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I'll tell you. Those are moments of joy. Everlasting joy is the painting that we see of that girl wrapping her arms around Jesus in the first day that she enters the kingdom. Some people are probably like, oh boy, I better change my present that I just got, right? There are days where I wonder what it will be like the moment that I draw my last breath here and I take my first breath in heaven. And all I can tell you is this. I, I can do what I can to describe heaven. We can look at it theologically to a degree, but I can tell you this. I know that that breath is going to be filled with joy. And that joy will not go away. We then continue on and in verses seven and eight, David says this, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So the next thing that I want to encourage us in is that joy is found in setting God before you and following his counsel and instruction. Joy is found in setting God before you and following his counsel and instruction. What do we mean by this? Friends, brothers and sisters this morning, I want to tell you that the world wants to say that God is stifling, that being a Christian is boring, that being a Christian is uncool, that being a Christian is outdated, that the Bible isn't real, that if you become a Christian, you shackle yourself to a God who wants nothing more than to control you and minimize you so that he can be glorified. And what I want to show you this morning is that could be nothing further than from the truth. The deep sense of joy that we have in Jesus is knowing that we are free knowing that we are no longer guilty of our sins, knowing that we have an eternal inheritance, that we have a God who is the ultimate expression of love because he is the ultimate love that brings deep joy to our heart. Knowing that there is a day when this world that wants to give a temporal joy will no longer be able to do so and the real sense and the true joy will be Christ and his kingdom.
And so what I want to ask you is simply this, not in a legalistic way, but in a real way. Are you setting God before you? And are you following his counsel and his instruction? If God's word says, do this, and the world says, no, do this, which direction are you heading? Because the world wants to say, do this, and oh, we'll give you joy. And I promise you that it will feel good for a moment. This won't. I'm not going to lie. This won't. This will be hard. The world wants you to see and think that it's hard. But I promise you that in the hardness of pursuing that counsel, you will have joy. Another quick thing. David talks and he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. When you go through life, are you setting God before you? Or are you going through life saying, God, get behind me because I know my path to joy. And yet when you get to that path of joy and you discover that it isn't what you want, you then say, God, you're at fault. And yet God is saying, no, I have given you the path and I've told you to go this way. And here's what I love about God. We go that way, right? We discover, we think that we're gonna get joy. We find out that the joy isn't exactly what the world says it is. We've put God behind us and we learn our lesson. What does God do? I'm still here. I'm still here. Come this way. Come here. Because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Are we finding joy in setting God before us and following his counsel and instruction? And then finally, David continues on in verses nine through the end. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. He is recalling the promise that he has been given. He is recalling the internal inheritance that he shares, that we share in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. What is the path of life, brothers and sisters? The path of life is Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. It is the good news. That is the path of life. And while the world will try to say that anything but Jesus is the path of life, may we rest in the joy that only Christ can give. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Take all the presents. Take all of the things that will unwrap at the tree. And they're wonderful. 
But what I want you to do is to take a moment and just unwrap Jesus. And be filled with joy simply in his presence. And that's what I wanted to talk about. This final point is that joy is found only in the presence of Christ. Real joy, true joy, everlasting joy, a joy that the world cannot give, nor can it take it away, is only found in Jesus. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When we truly look at what we have in Jesus, when we truly look at what we are destined for in his kingdom, 100 acres of prime farm ground in Guthrie County, all of the South Shore of Lake Panorama, or 1,000 acres in Waukee is nothing compared to what we have in Christ and his kingdom. Where does real joy find it? How do we find it? Joy is found in allowing God to be your refuge in troublesome and challenging times. Joy is found in allowing God to be your guide regardless of circumstance. Joy is found in knowing that eternal life with God is our inheritance. Joy is found in setting God before us and following his counsel and instruction. And joy is found only in the presence of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the take-home truth is simply this. True, lasting joy is found only in a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with Christ. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to take a moment, and I want you to, before we move to communion, take two minutes and just ponder the joy that we have in God and Christ alone. Can we do that? Okay. Let's just pray. Let's just sit in silence. I just want you to think about the joy that you have in Jesus.
Father, uh, we come before you and we just thank you. We thank you for this season of Advent. We thank you for the opportunity to hopefully amidst kind of the hustle and bustle of the holiday to slow down and to ponder the magnitude of what we've been given through our Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we uh, move through the Advent season and we've spoken about hope and finding our hope in Christ, asking ourselves a very simple question is, where is our hope? Lord, last week we talked about love. We've discovered the action of love, the unconditional, undeniable, irrevocable love that's displayed through God. But then we also recognize that the ultimate expression of love, love is a noun, is the person of Christ. And this morning we move toward joy. And Father, the world wants nothing more than to distract us and to say, hey, find joy here, find joy there, find this, find that. And I pray that as we go about our day that we would just take a moment, we would recognize that true ultimate joy is found only in the presence of Christ. And Father, with that, then may we take moments to just sit and dwell with you. Father, I pray that as we look to you, the promises that we have, the promises of, of the world that has been broken and is broken, but is being restored through Christ, is being made new through Christ, is bringing about an eternal kingdom through Christ, is bringing about an eternal inheritance through Christ, that they would bring us a deep sense of joy. And Father, in those moments where the world might say it's time to despair, or in those moments where the world would say it's time to rejoice, that we would be able to say that we always rejoice, we always have joy, because the joy that has been given to us is through Jesus. And world, as much as you try, you simply cannot give that to me. But also, having been given the joy of Jesus, you cannot take it away. Lord, may that bring blessing and comfort and encouragement to our hearts. May we continue to experience your joy in a fullness like we've never had before. And Father, in that, I pray that that fullness would come as we focus more and more and more on you and the hope and the love and the blessing that we have given through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.